Good morning. Doug is coming. I am, I am not bringing the message. Just reading the scripture. And if you would, please open your Bibles or readers and turn to 1 John, the second chapter, verses 1 through 17. If you're using the Bible under your seat, it's page 862. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 17. First John 2, 1 through 17, page 862. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Verse 7, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing to him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, 
the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Truth of the matter is I get tired of hearing myself. Thank you, Karen. Isn't that awesome? You ever just listen to the word of God? Like just soak it in. It is a powerful thing. Hey, good morning. It's good to be back. I have uh, really missed you guys. Um, it's hard not being up here. Um, I really do enjoy uh, what I get to do, and uh, it's great to be back standing up here and sharing the Word of God with you. Hey, just to uh, make sure you keep your Bibles open or your readers open, we're going to re, uh, we're going to unpack all of what Karen read for us. But I kind of want to remind you where we are. We're in a series where we're walking through the letter of First John, and we're calling the series the One. And the reason we're calling it the one is because John had this, this amazing, particularizing uh, interaction with Jesus, so much so that he referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. And then he becomes the apostle of love, the disciple of love. If you read all of John's letters, if you read what we're reading in 1 John, if you listen to what Karen just read, there's this, this thread of love that runs through everything else that he writes. So not only is he the one that Jesus loved, but he becomes the one who loves others in a particularizing, powerful way. And our desire for this series would be that, that you kind of live into and understand that, that knowing God, experiencing God, experiencing God's love has this radical transformational effect on all of us. That we all have the opportunity to experience the one and in turn be the one who loves others. I've said this uh, lots of times as, as I've taught, and, and I really do believe it. The truth of the matter is we as, as humans, we don't have a sin problem. We have a love problem. You see, because if you really know who God is, if you really understand who God is, the more you have a knowledge, a, a deep inner knowledge of God and understand the love of God, it actually changes your behaviors. It actually changes your responses to people and circumstances. And so the root of our problem is a love problem or a trust problem in the love of God. And the result of that, the fruit of that, is that we sin. And so the, the desire is, as we go through this series and as we unpack First John, is that we would come into a life-changing knowledge of the, the love of God. So just in chapter 1 of, of 1 John, we've covered all kinds of doctrinal truths, doctrinal truths that we need to hang on to. So we've talked about the incarnation, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. We've talked about God is light. We've talked about the fact that God is, is self-revealing, that he's revealing himself to all of us. We've, we've talked about the fact that God is, is giving. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about the, the price that Jesus paid on the cross for all of us, that atoning sacrifice that he made. Tons of theology in the first chapter of 1 John. And there's this thread that runs throughout this entire letter that is what I've already been talking about is that as we experience God that it ought to be changing who we are. We ought to be different people because of our interaction with the living God. And so today's passage that Karen read for us and that we're going to unpack really is, is kind of shifting gears a little bit. And so, so John begins to write and he's writing to us a test 
a test that we can use to qualify whether or not what we are hearing or what we're being taught is really from the Father. Now, why would he write this? We've got to remember the context of the letter. Do you remember why he's writing the letter? He's writing to his church, and the church has, has divided. There's been all kinds of, of disunity within the church, and so he's writing to address the disunity, but the reason there's disunity is because there's false teachers out there. And the false teachers are telling them, look, this Jesus guy, he's a really cool cat. He's a really awesome guy, but he wasn't God. And you know, the truth of the matter is you'll still hear that taught today. You'll still hear people say, I love the teachings of Jesus, but I have a hard time believing that he was God. Well, the foundation of our faith is he, he had to be God. It's the only way the cross makes any sense. So we believe that he's God. And, and so John is writing to address that. And he's saying to them, look, Here's a test that you can use as to whether or not it really is truth or not truth. It's a practical application that we can use not only to test the business, but also a test that we can use for our own lives. So, so the scriptures say a man ought to examine himself. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. A, a person ought to examine himself. This is the examination. Or if you think about it, an examination is what? A test, right? So this is the examination that we get to apply, not only to what we hear, but to our own lives. So look at verse 1. He says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And I just want you to catch the, the opening phrase because I think it's important. He starts with the words, my dear children. And he's really showing incredible affection for the readers, isn't he? He's, he's actually referring to them in a strong way. And I think what he's trying to do is, is make sure they know, look, I'm not writing a letter to beat you up. I'm not writing a letter to shame you. I want you to know I love you. I love you like my own children. So he starts with my dear children. And then he explains to them, look, even if you screw up, even if you sin, you have Jesus who, who goes to God on your behalf. And he, he lays that all out. But if you look at verse 3, and you're going to have to kind of look for this as you read through it and sitting there. You're going to see the phrase, we know that, or something similar. It depends on your translation, but you'll see a phrase that says, we know that. So hold on to that. And then look at verse 5. And if you look at verse 5, you'll see the phrase, this is how we know. You find in both those. So I'm just trying to show you how the, how the writer was working here. And so those two phrases are the exact same words in the original Greek. And the, the original language would be, be rendered, by this we know. By this, we know this is the test. This is how we know if what we're hearing is from God. This is how we know if we're actually, actually interacting with the living God. This is the test. So he says, by this, we'll know. So look at verse 4, and we'll start reading how it is we're going to know. By what will we know? Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, he's a liar. The truth isn't in him. But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. When a person knows Jesus, when a person interacts with the living God, it should have an effect on their ethics. Do you know what I mean when I say ethics? It changes their decision-making process. It changes their sin patterns. It changes their response patterns. And so, so John's saying, look, it ought to make a difference. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 6, he says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The word walk, some of your translations may even say live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be in him would live as Jesus lived. Does that remind you of anything around here at Grace? Does it remind you maybe of our mission statement at Grace, which is, we are, well, that was really pathetic, sorry. 
Let's try it with the actual words this time. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings by saying that was pathetic. That wasn't very nice of me. But it's not just words. It's not just a cute thing that we came up with. It's beautiful to see that what we've put on the wall and what we're trying to hold to is biblical. John's saying, look, if you know Jesus, if you interact with Jesus, if you want to know if it's legitimately Jesus, then you should live like Jesus. You should walk like Jesus. You should love like Jesus. It's not just a cute saying. It's the way we're supposed to be. So for those of you who don't know, a couple weeks ago I started a uh, three-year seminary process, um, went to Sioux Falls for the first week of this process, and lots of, lots of you have asked me, how's it going? Um, I have no idea. I just started, um, but you can pray for me. Whenever you feel the urge to pray for me, it'd be great. It's going to be a huge undertaking. Really excited about it, but one of the days, we had a different speaker every day, and one of the days we had a guy uh, speak to his name was Gary Haug, H-O-A-G, and uh, he talked about the kingdom of God. But what he said to, to, to us and what he really said to me, um, I'm sure he was talking to everybody, but you know that sometimes you think it's just for you. But he said that him and his wife decided to read the red letters of the gospel. You know what I mean by the red letters? So the red letters are the quotes of Jesus. So if you read some translations, every time Jesus spoke, and it, it, that it would be normally be in quotation marks, it would be put in red letters. But he said him and his wife were going to read the red letters with their kids, and they were going to ask this question, where does my life look more like the world than the red letters? Where in my life do I more resemble the rest of the world, and where do I need my life to look more like Jesus? Because when you start reading those red letters, he says some pretty hard things. He calls us to do some pretty wild things, right? And so everywhere there was a gap, they decided to change their way they lived, the way they did this thing. So they started to live into this, this particular passage. Whoever knows Jesus begins to live like Jesus. They took it seriously. He said, we decided to take the words of Jesus literally and apply them in our lives. And I got news for you. If you decide to go home and start reading the red letters and apply this, it's a, it's a tough one. Because he calls for some pretty amazing things. But here's this guy who's been amazingly successful and he's changed his life and he's living like Jesus. And God is using him. He's in Korea right now. He's, like, he's having this huge impact across the globe for the kingdom of God. And his message is so pure to me when I was listening to him. And you know why? Because he passed the test. Because he's trying to live like Jesus. And you could see it in the things that he was doing. He said a lot of stuff. And a lot of it I'm actually going to um, unpack next week as well. Uh, just really stirred some deep stuff in me. But that one thing, I, I went home and I said, Meg, I, I think we should try this. And, and to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous. Because Jesus calls us some pretty, pretty sacrificial things. And so Meg and I and Casey, we're going to start reading through the red letters. And we're going to ask ourselves, where is our life different than the world's? And where do we need to make adjustments in our lives? So let's keep reading. 1 John 2, 7, verses 7 and 8. He says, Dear friends, I'm write, not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It's the truth, is, and its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So the question is, is it an old command or a new command? The language in this paragraph is incredibly confusing. As a matter of fact, I was keenly aware that if I wrote this paragraph in seminary that I would fail. It doesn't make any sense. It's an old command or is it a new command? I'm not writing you an old command. No, I am writing you a new command. Why would he write like this? Why would John decide to use this language? And the amazing thing is, he's actually quoting a pretty great teacher. 
he's actually using the same language as Jesus. So I want you to see this because it's super important. So turn back to the Gospel of John and look at uh, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, not 1 John. So you go back to the fourth Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. uh, Chapter 13, verse 34. And Jesus is having a conversation, an important conversation with his disciples. I guess all the conversations he had were important. At least all the ones they put in scripture. So he's having this conversation with his disciples. And in 1 John 13, 34, Jesus says... A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Love one another, that's not a new command. Matter of fact, Leviticus and Deuteronomy were the two things were written that summed up all of the law, right? It was that you'd love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and you would love your neighbor as yourself, right? So love one another wasn't exactly new. It had been around for some 1,700 years or, or 1,500 years. And so it wasn't a new command, but Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. But that's not what makes it new. What makes it new is he says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So to love one another wasn't new, but to love the way Jesus loved was radically new. Because Jesus said, you need to love those who persecute you. You need to love people that actually hate you. He said you need to love people who are sick. And as a matter of fact, in their culture, there was people that were considered unclean. And he said, no, I don't even want you to just love them. I want you to touch them. I want you to reach out and actually touch the unclean. I want you to love in a radically new way. And then to really just totally screw everything up, Jesus said, here's the deal. I want you to love people that don't even know God. I want you to love sinners. I actually want you to love sinners. And if you think about all that was said about Jesus, that was the one thing that just made the people the maddest is he is a friend to sinners. And then he says, a new command I give to you, that you love the way I loved, that you live the way I lived. So the love one another isn't new. To love as Jesus loved was radically counterculture in that day, and it's still radically counterculture in this day as well. This is how we know. If the teacher's legit, do they love like Jesus loved? Do they live like Jesus lived? So if you keep reading in in 1 John and you look at verses 9 through 11, and I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time, but what you'll see as you look at that is is John begins to contrast light and love, or or not contrast, he says light is love and and darkness is hate. He, He just makes this clear picture. And throughout this whole section of the scriptures, we see this contrast of two very different things, love and hate, light and darkness, the way of the world, the way of the kingdom. He's making a clear distinction that there are two distinct paths that a person can follow. And he's talking about light in darkness. And he says, if the message is dark, it will be hated. And if the message is light, the message will be love. And so what's the application for us? If you hear someone saying that they're a teacher of the scriptures, but their message is full of hate, then you should pay attention because they've failed the test. So think about this and think about it in our own context. If the message is love, the message will be light. And So when we address the difficult subjects like homosexuality and abortion, is the message full of hate? Is the message full of judgment? Is the message that you hear full of of bile? Is 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 it hard for you to hear? And if you ask yourself, does that sound like the way Jesus would talk? You need to pay attention because the test is, if it's light, it's love. And we think that we have to compromise on what the truth of the scripture says in order to love somebody. But Jesus modeled for us, that's not what we have to do at all. All we have to do is love somebody. All we have to do is 
love people. As a matter of fact, we sometimes think it's our job to convict the world of sin, but you know what Jesus said? He said it's the Holy Spirit's to convict the world of sin. It's your job to love people. But do we love people? Is the message that you hear a message of love or is it a message of condemnation and hate? And we need to pay attention because he says this is the test. This is how we know if what we're hearing is the truth. And this is how we know if what we're feeling is the truth. This is the test that we have to hold on to. But here's the hard part. If you get to this point in 1 John and you're reading through it, if you're not careful, it's a kick in the teeth. It's a, it, it produces a great sense of, I'm doomed. I'm messed up. I can't do this. Because the truth is, I don't love like Jesus loved. I'm just telling you. I don't love like Jesus loved. I don't live like Jesus lives. There's times when I'm called to be selfish and I'm selfish. There's times I'm called to be quiet and I yell. There's times I'm called to sacrifice and I hold on to what God's told me to all the time. I miss it all the time. So what do I do with that? How do I, how do I reconcile that, that truth that I fall short of what God is calling to me all the time, yet the scripture says, hey, if, if it's not love, then it's not God. How do I reconcile that? And I think John knew that, and he knew that that would be the feeling that the writers had. So then he stops for a minute, and he writes this beautiful list of encouraging words. So I want you to see it. In verse 12, he starts. He says, I write to you, dear children. Back to that that language that's so endearing. And he says, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You know who his name is, right? On account of Jesus. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you've known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The fact of the matter is, John's not writing to men and boys. He's not writing to fathers and sons. He's writing to different people in their spiritual journey. He's writing to people who are new to the faith and old to the faith. And he's really not writing to the male people either. It's not, it's, he, the letter is written to the men because that was the tradition of the day. But what he's saying is whether you're male or female, whether you've walked with Jesus for a few days or you've walked with Jesus for your whole life, I am writing to encourage you that you are forgiven, that you know him, that you've overcome evil, that you know the Father, that you've known him from the beginning, that you're strong, that the word of God, the spirit of God lives in you, that you have overcome the evil one. The message today is not a message about looking for perf perfection. Matter of fact, this has nothing to do with perfection. It's the message about the journey. Are you seeing transformation in yourself? Are you seeing the journey? Or are you just looking for the moment? It makes a big difference. I want to jump back to verse 10. Because verse 10 was the verse that, that I ended up spending most of the time that probably had the biggest impact on me. Because I'm to the point where I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I'm doomed. I can't do this. I'm not living up to all of these tests. I've failed the test. And then I look at verse 10 and I'm asking myself, how am I ever going to do this, God? How can, I, how can I lead in this way? How can I love my family in this way? How can I love the people in my life this way? And in verse 10 he says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there's nothing in him to make him stumble. This is so encouraging to me. John says, if you live in the light, there's nothing in him to make him stumble. The actual better rendering of this verse, if you were to go back to the original Greek, is not that there's nothing in him 
to make him stumble, but nothing in it. You see the difference? So in him makes us feel like there's nothing in the person to make them stumble. But he's actually using the him in regards to God is light. There's nothing in God. There's nothing in the light to make you stumble. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If, there's, if the lights are on, you're not going to trip over stuff. If the lights are on, then you don't have things in your way. You can see where you're trying to go. One of my life verses is Isaiah 50, uh, 10 through 11. It's going to come up on the screen. I don't want you to look for it because it will take too much time. But, but he, Isaiah writes these words. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He's saying, look, if you don't know God, if you don't know the way to go, trust in God for the light. But then there's a warning, he says, but now, verse 11, all of you who light fires and pride yourself with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and the torches you have set ablaze. And this is what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. There's two choices, light and darkness, love and hate. The world, God's kingdom. It's throughout this entire passage. And, and, and John is writing and he's saying, if you walk in the light, there is nothing to cause you to stumble. So I'm a pretty avid outdoorsman. I love being in the woods. I love going into the woods. And um, one of the things that, that I have to do at times is I have to walk in the woods in the dark. I have to walk to where I'm trying to get and it'll be pitch dark out. And it's always nice if there's a moon. But even when there's a moon in that darkness, it's very easy to trip. It's very easy to stumble. It's very easy to get off the path that I'm trying to follow. It's easy to get a sharp stick in the eye. And every time I get a sharp stick in the eye, I think that is a good saying. Because getting a sharp stick in the eye really does hurt. And there's a lot of things better than a sharp stick in the eye. So it's a good reminder. But that all happens in the dark. So you would think, what do you do? going to walk through the, the through the woods in the dark the best thing you could do is turn on a this isn't that complicated the flashlight but you know what happens when you turn on a flashlight your eyes adjust to the light your eyes adjust to that beam of light and you lose your your night sight you lose your ability to see in the dark and so you lose track of all of your surrounding you lose any kind of perspective you no longer can see any kind of landmarks or any kind of, of of cues as to where you're going the fastest way to get lost in the woods is to walk into the woods in the dark turn on a flashlight and follow the light because you can't see what's around you and so you get lost and it's a picture of my life you see I get nervous or scared so I light my own light and I follow the light but I lose perspective of what God is doing and the next thing you know I'm lost and I'm stumbling and I'm lying down in torment, as Isaiah says. And anyone who's been in the woods in the dark, there's nothing like the sun to come up. And all of a sudden you can see. And sometimes you're in the woods and you can't find what you're trying to find. And when the sun comes up, it's right there. You can see it all, all of a sudden. Not only if you can't even see it, all of a sudden you recognize the, the surroundings. And you recognize the lay of the land or the trees that you've seen times before. And you walk right to where you were trying to go. In the dark, you were completely lost. And so there's this picture of walking in the light. Because in the light, there's still stuff in your way, but you can walk around it. You're not going to stumble because you can see what's going on. So remember, I, I told you about this guy, Gary Hogue, and his red letter exercise. And the challenge it's been for me, asking his wife, where do we look more like the world than Jesus? Well, I love this because... John writes the same thing in verses 15 through 17. He says, don't love the world 
or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Again, look at the contrast. It's one or the other. There's no gray area. Maybe that's why I like John so much. And he says, for everything in the world, what are the things in the world? The craving of a sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what one has. So it's, it's about stuff, possessions, right? That all comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The contrast of light and darkness, love and hate, the world's ways and God's ways. Six times he says, do not love the world. But the problem is, God's word says that God so loved the world. He gave his only son. And then we read in here that we're supposed to love the way God loves. We're supposed to love the way Jesus loves. So are we supposed to love the world or are we supposed to not love the world? It gets kind of confusing, doesn't it? Well, the truth of the matter is, he's not talking about loving people. He's talking about loving the things that the world loves. There is a a picture that the world loves these kind of things. The world operates this sort of way. There is a world economy and there's God's economy and you need to know the difference. And we are called to love people and we are called to reject the things that the world loves. So the scripture says that we are to be mindful of those things, that we are to take every thought captive, that we are to not conform to the patterns or the ways of thinking of the world, but we are to renew our minds. We are to have a pattern of thinking that's God's economy. So what that means is we got to be aware of what we are desiring. We have to be aware of what we are wanting. We have to be aware of what our, our deepest heart's desire is. And we have to ask the question, is this what the world desires? Or is this what I should desire in the kingdom of God? Is there a a gap in there? And do I need to realign my desires with the things that I'm supposed to have? And John's saying, be careful. Don't get sucked into thinking the the way the world thinks. but, But hold on to the things of God. We are to love people and not conform to the patterns of the world. I love today's passage. It's been an absolute thrill to, to unpack it and, and just even to think about it in my own life. But I think the thing I love about it the most is that it's so black and white. It's such a test of, of faithfulness. And in the midst of that black and white test, there is this incredible list of encouraging words. Let me tell you again what he says. He says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven in Jesus. You know him. You've overcome the evil one. You're strong. The word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one but the question is do you believe it no really like do you really believe this do you believe it in your own life do you know that you already have victory do you know that you've already overcome the evil one do you know that you've already been forgiven the holy spirit actually lives in you you have overcome the evil one i love the language it's so definitive it's so absolute you are you have the word of God lives in you there's no gray area here it's the language of victory everything we need for life and godliness that's what the scripture says I have given you everything you need for life and for godliness how powerful is that how encouraging is that not because I always pass the test but because when I fail I am covered so he starts with I'm not writing this so you don't sin but when you sin you got Jesus who goes to the father on your behalf you are covered but continue on the journey don't get off the path remember if you walk in the light it's good you can move in this direction I want to do something a little bit different for just a minute and I I do this every once in a while and I get mixed reviews, and I know some of you hate this, and I just want to encourage you, I don't care. No, I do care. 
Um, uh, for those of you who don't like this, I do want to just invite you to uh, participate anyway. We're going to lower the lights, and I'm just going to ask a couple questions. And what I want you to do is just sit with the Father. Do you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? And you know if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the Holy Spirit desires to talk to you. But do you believe that God will actually speak? So I'm just going to ask a couple questions, and I'm just going to let the silence hang out there. And this is where some of you get uncomfortable in the silence. Some of you, there's no silence in your life at all. And so I know it makes you a little uncomfortable, and I just want to encourage you. It won't take long. I won't leave you there too long. Um, but allow me to pray for you, and then I'm just going to give you a question to ponder. And then I'll give you a second question. Lord, I just pray. Uh, when I started thinking about this moment in the service, I began to think about your servant Samuel, just a little boy who went back to his room and said, speak to me, your servant is listening. He put himself in a posture of listening and said, I, I'm your servant and I want to hear what you have to say. And, and so here we are, Lord, we are servants of the living God and the spirit of God lives in us. And so we say, speak to us and we will listen. Show us what we need to see. Reveal to us what you want to reveal to us. Help us to experience the living God so that we can leave this place different than we came. Lord, speak to us. Your servant is listening. The first question I want you to ask the Lord is, where do I carry guilt and shame? What's in my life? What guilt, what shame, what in my past do I just hold on to and not let go of? Where do you carry guilt and shame. Some of you hear words like anger, control, unforgiveness. Some of you, God brought to mind a sin of their past, a place where you feel like you've just screwed up too much. But the word of God says that Jesus paid the price for all of those sins. The word of God says as far as the east is from the west, he has removed that from you. So in this moment, give it to God. Say, Lord... I give it to you. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in the liberating truth of Jesus Christ. I want to be liberated from any guilt and any shame of what I've done in the past. The second question is similar, but it's worth asking the question, what do you find yourself going back to? When things are hard, when you're overly stressed, when you're scared, what do you go back to? Where does sin have its hook in your life?
scriptures today say that we have overcome the evil one. The scriptures tell us that we have everything we need for life and godliness. The scriptures tell us that there's no sin too big to overtake us. That we have victory in Jesus. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you know that you already have the victory? Do you know that you've overcome the evil one? I want to end this morning with a poem, a way of bringing things to a close, and we can bring the lights back up. I've overcome the enemy. The enemy says I have nothing to offer. The enemy says I'm too weak. The enemy says, why even bother? The enemy says, I have nothing God seeks. The enemy says, why try? No one cares. The enemy says, you're all alone. The enemy says, there's too much to fear. The enemy says, I'm too late. The enemy says, I'm too insignificant. I'm too dumb. I'm too white. I'm too black. I'm too damaged. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too shy. I'm too overbearing. I'm not popular enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not talented enough. I've screwed up too many times. I've committed too many sins. The enemy's words, they're meant to destroy me, to distract me, to confuse me, to sideline me, to oppress me, to bench me. The enemy's words, they're nothing but chatter, like trash talk of an opponent that's already been beaten. His words are empty, meaningless, void of truth, and void of any substance. I am not sinful, I am forgiven. I am not weak, but strong. I am empowered, I am inspired, I am indwelled, I am called, I am equipped, I am adopted. I am a royal priest. I am a co-heir with Jesus. I am protected, I am knit together, I am a work of art. I have purpose, and I am loved. The enemy's words, they're meant to destroy me, but words are all that he has. Words. Words are his only weapon. Empty, hollow, lie-filled words. Words are his only hope of taking me out of the game. Words are all that he has, because I have overcome, because I am a child of the Most High God. I have overcome. I am a child of the Most High God. Lord, help us to live in this truth. Help us to live in the truth of what we've seen in 1 John that we get to walk in the light where we won't stumble, where we are forgiven, where when we screw up, Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. Help us to realize that we have overcome the darkness. The light of God lives in us. Lord, help us to be a people that walk in victory. Help us to love like Jesus loved. Help us to live like Jesus lived. Help us to walk like Jesus walked so that the world will know the love of the Father. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. Thank you so much for this body of believers. It is such a thrill to do ministry with each and every person in this room. Bless them. Help the truth of your word to penetrate their very soul today. In Jesus' awesome name we pray. Amen. You have a great Sunday. Enjoy today. And as you know, there's always some down here that would be willing to pray for you.